0: Listen, today is going to feel a little bit different in our church. We're going to share with you some some thoughts that we've been having about discipleship in our church, how we form disciples, and I'm up here to sort of set this up and tell you that it's something we've been working on as a leadership team over the last year, and one of the things I want to do is I want to back up and let you in on a little bit of the core values of our church. So the first thing that you need to know about, and many of you do know this, we have a mission statement statement that we use here and that mission statement goes like this we believe god's calling us to build a community of christ for the world and here's what i want you to know about that statement that is not just filling up space somewhere on a web page or on a document that statement actually guides Everything we do here. That's what we're doing as a church. And when you join River West, you're joining us on that mission. And so we're building a community of Christ for the world. By the way, we preached a series on that statement a year and a half ago, so January of 2021. And if you are new to the church since then, you could go into, the, uh, you go into the website and listen to those sermons. It will help you kind of know what we're doing here. We also have, though, what we call seven core commitments. These are seven words that we talk about a lot in our church, and I want to put those up. And you're also going to recognize these. In fact, if you've been sitting in our church over the last year, two years, you've heard those words, those seven words, over and over and over. Jesus, gospel, gratitude, prayer, unity, we've used the word maturity, I'm going to talk about that in just a minute, and then mission. Here's what I want you to notice. Think about it like this. Those seven words function like values or things that we're committed to. So think of Jesus as our focus. That's what you'll notice when we're we're in here Sunday mornings. We're focused on Jesus. Think of the gospel as our truth. It's like the, it is like the foundation of all that we, all the authority, all the truth that we preach from, lead from, shape our ministries around. Think of gratitude as our response. Think of prayer as our power. We believe that all of the power for the Christian life, one to another happens in the way we pray. Think of unity as our strength. When the church remains united which can be a challenge sometimes. Think how strong that is for the cause of the gospel when the church stays united. Think of formation as our goal and think of mission as our purpose. But of those seven words, by the way, we talk about those at Introducing River West. So if you've been to Introducing River West, you've heard that and we've, we've preached on those words before. Of those seven words, it's that word formation that over the last year, we started to realize that word needs a little bit of work. We need to think about it a little bit more. So when you think of formation or you think of maturity, what we're talking about is how we form disciples in the way of Jesus. Remember what Jesus said near the end? He said, go make disciples of all nations. The church is here to form disciples. And what we recognized over the last year is that kind of that part of our core commitments we need to think a little bit more about that and we have the whole leadership team has been talking about this and what we're going to do this morning is we're going to share that with you and it's going to feel a little bit different we're going to there's going to be some different voices here first what's going to happen after the greeting pastor Eric is going to come Eric is now our pastor of discipleship formation he's going to come and introduce you to sort of a new strategy that we're working with around this word formation and then we're going to have some of our key leaders come up some pastors and ministry leaders in our church, and they're going to sit up here as a panel and talk a little bit about this, and it's going to be the greatest thing that happens to you today, I promise you. It's going to be absolutely mind-blowing, so, um, so get ready for that, and what I, want to do, uh, what I want to do as a senior pastor is sort of say, what you're about to experience, this is, a, this is a full-on, the whole leadership team is behind this, and this is where we're headed in our mission to make disciples for the glory of Jesus, Amen. And so I'm going to pray about that, and then we're going to greet one another. Lord, we're so thankful to be together. We are so thankful today for your presence with us by your Holy Spirit. The church would not exist were it not for the work of your Holy Spirit. No one could see the glory of Jesus were it not for the work of your Holy Spirit. We couldn't love one another and bring you glory and be on mission and do the things that you're calling us to do without the work and the ministry of your Holy Spirit. And so we say thank you for these things. And we thank you, Jesus, for our church and how you're using our church to bring glory to Christ in this community. We want more, Lord. We're not satisfied. We want to see more and more people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ and start on the way of Jesus' disciples. So we're looking forward to what's going to happen this morning. We pray it all together in Jesus' name. Amen. Really, really good to be
1: together. Um, turn in your Bibles, please, today to Luke chapter 24. If you need a Bible, there are ushers who would love to give you one. Um, we are going to be jumping to a bunch of different passages, but we will start in Luke chapter four. And uh, my name's Eric, one of the pastors here at the church. I've been one of the pastors here for just about 14 years now. So it's been just a great joy. You're like, is he that old? He's that old. Yeah. Yeah. They made me a pastor as a high school student, which they never do, but they (laughs) did for me. Uh, I'm excited to share today with you about our vision for discipleship. Again, last fall, you may remember that we spent eight weeks thinking really deeply about discipleship, what it means um, to follow Jesus together. And while that was an eight-week series, discipleship is such a key um, part of our Christian faith that it's really an ongoing conversation. But to get some of you up to speed, if you're new to our church, um, some of the ways that we think about these terms, I'm going to give you some definition, okay? So the word disciple we define here at our church as someone who entrusts themselves to Jesus as Savior, Lord, and Teacher, And so our vision of what a disciple actually is doesn't begin with you. It begins with who Jesus is, what Jesus's identity actually is. We believe this about Jesus, that he is the only one who can save us. And we believe that Jesus is Lord, and and that word Lord may be new to you, but, but essentially what we believe is that Jesus in fact has the authority to guide and direct our lives. We're actually listening to his commands, trying to seek them out. But he's more than just sort of a an abstract authority giving us commands and rules. He's a teacher. He comes alongside us. He shows us his way of life, which we believe is life everlasting. Amen? Amen. Amen. So a disciple is someone who entrusts themselves to Jesus. And we define discipleship as, and this is not something we made up. It comes from the late Dallas Willard. But discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. And again, we believe that it's, it's so important for us to constantly be thinking about our identities as disciples and thinking about the identity of Jesus and thinking about what Jesus is doing in each one of us as followers of him and as a community. And the reason why we think that we constantly need to be doing that is because the ancient prophet was right. The times, they are a-changing. Have you seen Bob Dylan lately? He, the guy, <laughs> yeah. He is aging, but he's still doing it, and we love that. He was right. The times are changing. Pastor and author Mark Sayers describes the cultural moment that we live in as the gray zone. Here's what he means. He says, the gray zone exists in the overlap of two eras, the passing era and the forming era. And he argues, he argues this, he says that we haven't actually yet entered the era that will be, but we are in what he calls an in-between phase, the overlap of two eras. Now, some of you may disagree with that or not know what I'm talking about, but just listen to some words he uses to describe what he calls the gray zone. See if this resonates with our cultural moment. He uses words like complexity and constant change. The gray zone is, he says, is known by contradiction. Have you ever heard one story defined in two ways that are completely contradictory? I know you have. He says the gray zone is full of confusion where we're actually learning all new terms all the time and how they're defined. Uh, Recently, this is a true story. I was leaving my, my son's bedroom as he was going to sleep and I'm walking out the door and he goes, dad, we need to have a conversation tomorrow. And I was like, oh, okay. What's this about? He's like, he's like, dad, and I'm not kidding. He goes, dad, you need to, we need to talk about NFTs. I was like, what? Like, you don't know. I was like, can we just have the sex talk again? Like what? Like what? Like why? Like Siri is listening. I'm sure. What is an NFT? I literally went home to Google it, and I actually asked him to explain it to me because I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. But this era that we live in, this forming era, is full of confusion. And If I could put the the time, the moment that we're in into a singular word, um, Sayers does this in his book, it's the word anxious. We live in anxious times. And does that resonate with your experience of our world? I'm sure that it does. And it's important that we understand the constantly changing context that we live in so that we can flourish in it. Like the times are changing constantly and we want to flourish as disciples of Jesus in whatever time that we're in. But here is something that is true. As you can bank on today, while we live in a rapidly changing culture, we love and worship a God who is unchanging A God who has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus. And because of that, we are not in the dark regarding his character and his purposes. So what is God doing right now in our moment? He is doing what he has always been doing. For all throughout all of history, in every era, whether it's we're reading the story of Israel in the Old Testament or the rise of the Roman Empire and every other empire, whether it's the Reformation or the Industrial Revolution, whether it is the Great Awakening or the Great Depression, God has always been forming a people for himself. That is what he is up to. Jesus is forming his church a community of disciples, and that is who we are. And so while we want to pay attention to the moment that we're in and understand what's happening, we want to pay even greater attention to questions like, how are we to be formed into the image of Christ? And here's the question that we'll get after today. What do disciples need? What do disciples actually need? they follow Jesus. And for us, we have, so we have a PowerPoint presentation today. And if you're new to our church, you're going to be tempted to think that every time I get up here, I have a PowerPoint. It actually has never happened until today. And so I'm learning how to teach with this, but let's go to slide one because that obviously was a bad transition already. Okay. <laughs> these are four commitments that we um, think of these as non-negotiables for disciples of Jesus? What do they need? What do we need to commit our lives to? What are the core competencies of disciples of Jesus? These are very broad terms, but we're really passionate about them. Those words are word, the scriptures, doctrine, what we call spiritual practices, and mission. And what we're going to do today is um, you'll notice that that is a Venn diagram. And so what, what we mean by presenting it to you that way is we want you to see the way these commitments work together to form individuals and a community of Christ into the image of Jesus. Does that make sense? You with me? You're tracking with me? We're going to go through them. They are all deeply connected, but we'll go through them one by one. And I want to start by talking about the word, word. Here's what we mean. Next slide. Human beings are storied creatures. What we mean by that is that human beings live from a story. Stories are what help us make sense of life in all of its complexities. And so disciples of Jesus, we would say, disciples of Jesus need to see the scriptures as their defining story, not just propositional truths, it is that, and we'll get to that, but to see the scriptures as our defining story. One way to think about the Bible is that the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. And the reason we say that is because that is the way Jesus talked about the Bible. So I asked you to turn to Luke chapter 24. Let's look at that again. We'll look at a number of passages today. But we start there in Luke chapter 24. Here's what's going on in Luke chapter 24. Um, We'll start in verse 27. But what is happening in this passage is that Jesus, who was thought to merely be a rabbi or a prophet or some kind of revolutionary, has actually risen from the dead. And the word is getting out. And people are confused Um, because they haven't seen him. They're hearing that Jesus is, like the tomb is empty and Jesus is walking around, but they haven't seen him yet. And what is happening in the text that we'll read is there are a couple of disciples of Jesus who are not a part of the inner kind of core 12 disciples, but um, followers of Jesus are walking around and Jesus appears to them. And they don't recognize him in his resurrected body, but they strike up a conversation. And Jesus comes to them and says, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, are you kidding? We're talking about Jesus of Nazareth. We've heard stories that the, we, we watched him die, but we've heard stories that the tomb that he was laid in is empty. And that is where Jesus sort of enters into the conversation. And here's what He says, Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So we went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And listen to what they said. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Jesus is, here we are, this is Jesus' first act of what we would call discipleship. After he rose from the grave, the first thing he does is he leads a Bible study with a couple of his followers. And he says, the thing that you need to know is that the story that has defined your life for your whole life, that is the story that has defined your ancestry, your heritage as the Hebrew people, as God's people, he says, that entire story has been leading to my life and death and resurrection. He's taking his story and saying, you need to find your story now in mine. The very next thing that Jesus does, his second act of discipleship is that he goes to the 12, which have now become the 11. And we see this in verses 44 in the same, in the same passage in verses 44 to 45, he appears to his disciples and their minds are blown and he's, they're like, are you real? He's like, touch me. And they're like, whoa, he really is real. And then he, he does this. He says, I'm, I need some food. It's like, it's been a long weekend. I'm pretty hungry. And so he eats fish with them. I don't know if you knew that. That blew my mind. Like that recently hit me. Jesus in his resurrected body is like, I'd like some fish. But that is not the first thing that he does to them, is just eat with them. It says that he said to them, in verses 45, he says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Basically, Jesus, they're like, Jesus, we need, we, like, We need to touch you. We need to learn from you. And Jesus is like, somebody hand me the scroll. I need to tell you that your whole story, the whole story that has defined your life has been pointing to me. And every disciple of Jesus must learn to define their story by his. That's what discipleship is. And it's not just so their minds can be opened, although we we long for that. But I love in that first story the way it says those two disciples, when they described what happened as Jesus opened the Bible for them, it said, their hearts burned. And don't you want that? Don't you want a defining story that doesn't just enliven your mind, but it actually sets your heart on fire for the glory of Christ? That's what discipleship actually is. It's when we take the story of the scriptures, which all leads to Jesus, and we say that's, that's the story. Everybody lives from a story, but that's the story that I'm going to live by. That's the drama that I'm sort of entering into as I begin to disciple under Jesus. The Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus, but it's actually much more than that. We need more than a story. What we get in the scriptures is is not simply narrative or drama, but the Bible is constantly interpreting the drama for us. It doesn't just say, hey, this thing happened, but it says this happened and and this is what it means. Um, The theologian and pastor Michael Horton described it this way. We've got a slide for this, right? He says this, he says, from the drama of scripture we observe that Christ was crucified and raised. And then he says this, but from the doctrine, we learned that he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. That comes from Romans chapter four. We just studied that recently. And isn't that true? We don't just get a narrative in scriptures of something that happened, but the scriptures say not just that Jesus died, but that he died for sin. And not just that Jesus was raised, but that he was raised for our justification to bring us into right relationship with God. We don't just need a story. We need doctrine. We need beliefs that we can hold on to. So I want to talk about doctrine today. And I feel like even in saying that, like doctrine gets a bad word, Christian doctrine has sort of a bad name, like even amongst Christians, not just like people who aren't Christians, but we start to talk about doctrine, people are like, oh, that's just beyond me, I could never fully understand that. And You're right, we can never fully understand all of the beliefs that were within our faith, but doctrine, I'm telling you, doctrine is everywhere. Here's a definition of doctrine, and while I read this to you, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4 because we're just going to keep moving. Doctrine is a belief or set of beliefs held and taught by a church, but not just a church, a political party or another group. So Christian doctrine has, has terms like the doctrine of the Trinity or the doctrine of the inspiration of the scripture, that the Holy Spirit inspired the authors of the scriptures. The Christian doctrine says things about atonement, like why Jesus actually died um, for us, or big words like ecclesiology, which simply means the study of the church. Are you with me? These are Christian doctrine terms that are really important in our faith, but um, for some reason, we don't always pay attention to them. And I'm here to tell you that doctrine is everywhere. Everyone has doctrine. Every organization has doctrine. Companies function out of the beliefs that they hold to, that come from their story. And to um, illustrate that, I want to talk to you about, about a local shoe company and I'm not going to name names here, okay? The story of this company, because this, this is where beliefs come from. They come from stories. The story of this company, I'm not going to name names. The story of this company is a relationship between a track athlete and his coach. You with me? Okay. And that relationship led to a company that had a mission to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete. Again, no names. And this is a brilliant Way um, to give a mission, and obviously this company, which you'll soon realize what it is, has done quite well. But from that sort of, from that story and that mission, come doctrine. the, the mission is to is to bring inspiration and um, innovation to every athlete. And then there's an asterisk underneath that that says, "If you have a body, you are an athlete." Do you know what that is? That's called doctrine it's actually a really brilliant way to market yourself to the entire world. If you have a body, you're an athlete. If you have a dad bod, you're still an athlete. That's why I engage with this company. <laughs> so from that, from that doctrinal statement come even deeper beliefs in this company. Things like, it is our nature to innovate. Statements like, the consumer decides beliefs like we need to evolve immediately propositional truths like do the right thing and and finally remember the man the late bill bowerman now you know who i'm talking about probably so what i want you to see there is do you see how those are those are beliefs that come from a story and if you want to flourish in this company as an employee don't you have to buy into all that? Like, don't you have to, not, don't you have to just believe, not just believe that, but seek to sort of live that out in the way you exist in that company? And what I'm here to tell you is that's what Christian doctrine is as well. Christian doctrine comes from our shared story and it's beliefs that we cling to. So let me show you some examples of Christian doctrine. And what I'm not doing here, I want to say this, I'm, I'm not like like what, what the left side of the screen that company is doing is they're just doing really well. And it's great and we love it. But they would say maybe it is our nature to innovate. But here's an example of Christian doctrine. It is in our nature to rebel against God. Your company would be built on a belief something like the consumer decides, but Christian faith would say something like, actually, Christ is Lord. And we operate from that belief. We live in a world that's constantly saying to evolve immediately, but our Christian doctrine of sanctification, which is really what we're talking about, how people actually grow, um, states that transformation is a slow and lifelong process. Christian doctrinal statements would be die daily. The doctrine of mortification. We don't just remember the man, we remember the cross. Are you with me? Do you see it? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on from it. Okay, so doctrine, what I'm telling you is doctrine is everywhere. In every community, in every organization, you, uh, the story of that nation or organization, um, it brings up beliefs that are required really to thrive in that environment. And in our Christian faith, we want to hold fast to what is true. So again, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, I'm not going to preach this passage. I'm just going to simply read it to you about the way this works out in our Christian faith. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, the, Paul is talking about the church. And he says this, he says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood. Really, that's just a, it's a, it's a phrase that's talking about maturity to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that. We'd no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Notice that language of discipleship. We're growing up into Christ. From the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is what Jesus is doing. He's saying you live in a world that is like an indoctrination machine. And we need beliefs that we can hold on to. Because our phone is constantly indoctrinating us. We're being indoctrinated on YouTube, we're being indoctrinated through social media, we're being indoctrinated largely through the news and all these sorts of different forms, whether it's conversations in coffee shops. We're constantly receiving beliefs that are reality statements about how things actually are. But as Christians and followers of Jesus, wouldn't we do well to learn the ancient Orthodox Christian doctrines? so that we can walk in truth. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so as a church, we want to double down. Like, Christian doctrine may be coming a four-letter word, but we are doubling down on it. We want to know what our faith actually holds to, what it's held to for the last 2,000 years as Christ has been building His church. Now, here's what I want to say. Oftentimes, Christian discipleship ends there. Word, doctrine, Go get them. Like go to Bible study, read a theology book, and get out there and do it. And that's why we need the spiritual practices. That's why we need to learn how to live out our faith. How do we live out our beliefs? Spiritual practices, theologians have often called them the means of grace. And the means of grace are these habits and practices that we engage with regularly to fortify our faith you with me we fortify our faith through the practices so we don't simply read the bible and pat ourselves on the back for a nice quiet time we want to memorize it we want to memorize the scriptures and so that we can hold it in our hearts and hide it in our hearts When we read about the life of Jesus in the scriptures, we'll notice that he regularly would leave the crowds, even even the constant needs of those around him to be alone with his heavenly father. That's the Christian practice of solitude. It was a paradigm for Jesus in his ministry to engage with people, but then also to disengage from people to be alone with his heavenly father. And so what we have here is a non-exhaustive list of different spiritual practices that that help us not just say that we believe things about God but and not just to say that we believe in the biblical story but to actually live into That story, that's what we long to do. In Philippians chapter four, verse nine, you don't have to turn there. In Philippians four, verse nine, Paul, who wrote for that same passage we just read from Ephesians, Paul said this to the church in Philippi. He said, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. He says, all that you've heard from me, and really what he's talking about there is the gospel, He's talking about the scriptures and how they've pointed to the person of Jesus and how the apex of humanity is centered in on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And and that's what Paul is constantly teaching the churches. And he says, I need you to put that into practice. I need you to put your faith into practice. So let me do this real quick. I want to show you how spiritual practices work in sort of this paradigm of discipleship. Sometimes in our worship service, we will, um, here at River West, we will read aloud from ancient creeds of our Christian faith. And one example of a creed that we, that we sing about often, and, um, but also that we read, is the Apostles' Creed. Now, the opening lines of the Apostles' Creed are this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. That is a profound doctrinal statement. That when the apostles um, gathered, really, when church leaders gathered to sort of codify the key teachings of the Christian faith, they started with God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. This is like core Christianity. That the world we live in is not just the result of happenstance, that every human being is made in the image of the creator God. That is the story. comes from the biblical story of Genesis 1 and 2, which tells of a God who created the heavens and earth and every creature, not out of boredom or loneliness, but out of the overflow of his nature and character, out of his divine love. We believe that God really is almighty. So in the story we read, we see in the very first few pages that God's creative activity is speaking all that is into existence he is bringing order out of chaos. And it all sort of leads to this moment where he creates human beings on the sixth day. And then it says that on the seventh day, in our biblical story, it says that what did God do? He rested. The writers of scriptures were trying to teach us something about God. It is not enough to say that God is the almighty creator of heaven and earth. But there's actually practices that we can engage in that help us live that out. So in Exodus 20, Moses is, um, God is using this character from the scriptures, Moses, to form his people after he's brought them out of slavery. And Moses, God is speaking through Moses and he's giving what is called the Ten Commandments and in Exodus chapter 20 you don't have to you don't have to turn there i'm going to but it's kind of hard to find when you go from the new testament but in Exodus chapter 20 we are we are encountering what is called the 10 commandments and and christians and non-christians alike kind of all there's a lot that you can agree about in the 10 commandments am i right like don't don't murder people okay honor your father and mother which i read to my children daily and things about Adultery and, and things about, about idolatry, things about who God is, but there's a command in the Ten Commandments that we break all the time. Right? Every one of us. It goes like this. In Exodus 20, verse 8, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, now listen to this, on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. And then it says this, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy, And what God has done is he has not just given us a story about our origins and he has not just given us sort of propositional truths like that he is the almighty creator of heaven and earth, but he has given, even in the earliest days of forming his people, he gave them a practice to remind themselves of who he is and who they are because he knew something If we don't regularly practice the reality that God is the almighty creator of heaven and earth, that he is the sustainer of earth, we will very quickly take his place, won't we? And so as God formed his people, he says, once a week, I want you to just stop working. And and I'm just going to let you define work, what it means for you today. As you think about this, he says, I want you to stop working So that that story of origin of creation and that those propositional truths that you say you believe can work their way into your heart and you could cease from striving and remind yourself that I am actually holding the world in my hands. And don't we need that? Wouldn't you say it's it's not enough to simply hold to sort of propositional truths? We need a way to live it out together. And God gives us these practices that kind of rise up out of scripture. He says, here's how you're gonna grow in believing that I actually am sovereign by resting. You with me? So that's why we have these spiritual practices. And the final thing I wanna say, and the final part of the paradigm that we wanna look to, and we see this in Matthew 28, I invite you to turn there as well we have the word, we have sort of this unified story that leads to Jesus. We have these beliefs that we hold to. And then we have practices that shape and form us into the image of Jesus. But it is imperative that every follower of Jesus know that this is not a personal self-improvement project that we've engaged in, that God has a mission for our world. Which is not just for us to do better, not just for us to grow, but for us to join him in what he's doing. And so what is he actually doing? And we'll close here. In Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, Jesus gathers his disciples after his resurrection. And he not only is he opening the scriptures to them, he's actually giving them a mission. And it says this, Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What is Jesus's heart for? His heart is for the nation's. And isn't it amazing that he gathered a group of 11 disciples after his resurrection and he says, this message, my way of life, this story that has been all been leading to me, he says, we're taking this to the nations. We're going to take it to the ends of the earth. The whole world is going to be transformed by this. And what a beautiful picture that is. And even in the story that comes, it's God's vision for the whole world to come under his rule and reign that they are sent out. So it moves from God's vision of our world, but even to our own nation, the places that we live in, the cities that we call home, and even the neighbors that live across the street from us, God is telling us, make disciples of every nation, every city, and even the person across the street from you. Because that is what we're doing. We're building a community of Christ for the world. And what I want to say to you as we close, I'm going I'm to bring some friends up here in just a minute, but... What I want to say to you is you're like, what is the next step? And I guess I would I would say this to you right now. As we've thought really deeply about this as, as elders and uh, pastors and staff, ministry leaders, this is the paradigm that's gonna shape the way we do everything around here. The way we minister. An example would be, so you come each week and we preach. What do we preach? We preach the word right? And out of the word, what do we, what do we bring to you? We bring to you Christian doctrine and truth and theology, but not just for your heads. We're trying to give you a way of living. So even in a sermon, a sermon's incomplete until we've told you how to live this out, how to practice this in your life so that you are formed into the kind of people that God sends out on mission. Are you with me? So we're viewing each one of our ministries this way the activity even that we do in, in our ministries, word, doctrine, spiritual practices, and mission, okay? So now we're gonna have a conversation of how we live that out. I'm gonna invite some friends up from our team, people that I like a lot, people that are very cool. You're gonna like them as well. <laughs> yes. Okay, we have microphones. This is good. Oh, it's on, Okay. Okay, friends, let's do this. Um, it, as a way of, in, of, of introduction, your name, the ministry that you serve in, and how long you've been a part of our church.
2: Um, my name is Tiffany Hamilton, and I have the privilege of serving in our student ministry. So I oversee our junior high ministry, and then help out in a number of different ways with our high school ministry. And I just came up on my year anniversary here yeah. at River West. Very cool.
3: Kathleen Self, um, and I also have the privilege of serving um, as uh, the pastor of children's ministry. And I have been here for 14 years and absolutely love what I get to do.
1: (laughs) You don't have to to clap for the last person. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) It's well (laughs) deserved.
4: Uh, And my name is Christopher. I'm the mission pastor here and a member of our elder team at River West.
1: Fifteen years, almost. Fifteen years. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Very good. Very good. Christopher, we'll will start with you. I love you. Okay. <laughs> you and I have talked a lot about discipleship over these past couple of years. Even even as lockdown began, I remember we would like sneak out and like sit in my backyard and mm-hmm. just talk about like what does it mean to follow Jesus. And um, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about your own discipleship journey over these past couple years, what God's been showing you and teaching you and how you've been growing.
4: Yeah. um, I think one of the primary lessons that has been snapping into focus um, that spilled over into so many conversations around your fire pit and the backyard in our team, our elder team here at River West is that Jesus is not the only one making disciples, Uh, that our world and our culture is actually a discipleship formation machine. And so you asked the question, how has it impacted me personally? And I'll share two areas of repentance um, and reorientation in, in my life. Instead of talking about uh, or projecting that I'm just killing it, <laughs> I'll, I'll talk about areas where I'm growing, but um, Martin Luther said, all the Christian life is one of repentance. So here's two areas of repentance in my life connected to a parable of Jesus that has been following me around like a stray cat <laughs> from the minute that the pandemic began. Truth. Um, Jesus' parable of the sower, a portrait of Christian discipleship. The sower goes out and a scattering seed, but it falls upon different kinds of soil. So Jesus portrays four different kinds of, of soil. And some of the seed falls upon hard soil. And immediately, the moment that the seed hits the ground, birds come and they devour the seed. The second kind of soil is rocky soil, where, where at first the seed, it takes root, but, but this, the soil is actually, it's hard and it's shallow. Shallow soil. And so it actually withers the moment that the sun... Rises or the soil is tested. Uh, The third kind of soil is thorny soil. So, the moment that seeds or something living sprouts up, it's choked. This living thing is choked out by another force, which Jesus will go on to say that the thorns are the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Some of us uh, don't really struggle with that. But I think we're living in a, in a culture where there's a deceitfulness of, of riches, Jesus says. And the third, and the fine, I mean, the fourth and final kind of soil is good soil. And I think the Lord showed me that there were areas in my life on different days where I would think about that parable, he'd bring it to mind, he'd show me areas actually where birds were coming and through distraction, things that Jesus wanted to grow in my life were being robbed. When I get to heaven, I think I'm gonna see those birds and there's some fat birds in my life. And, and, and Jesus is just gonna go, you know, I wanted actually through my word, you to believe this and this to take root in your life. But through distraction, uh, these things were stolen from you that I, I wanted to grow and develop. Um, but more often than not, of, of those pictures, like the, the shallowness and the thorniness of Life, um, I re- began to reprioritize um, prayer and, um, and actually devoting days of, of prayer uh, away. Many of us, in fact, all of us uh, here, have gone down to Mount Angel, to the Abbey, and, and have just devoted monthly days of, of prayer um, to really unplug from the distractions of life and and to seek the Lord. Um, so that we can be rooted in, in truth. And, and, and so I, I share that parable with you because I, I think that discipleship is not a static thing. Um, and we actually have, through the world, the flesh and, and through the evil, when we have an enemy that wants to come and, and through distraction or through the deceitfulness of so much of the inputs in, in our life rob what Jesus wants to do. So we constantly have to unfollow (laughs) different inputs and sources so that our following of Jesus can be fruitful. And so,
1: awesome. All right, Kathleen, talk to us just a little bit about how this discipleship paradigm has impacted the way you lead our ministry to River West Kids, the way you think about formation and discipleship of kids. Tell us a little bit about that.
3: Really, the, I think the as far as kids' ministry goes, the discipleship model, it's been um, a really helpful like diagnostic tool, honestly. It's, it's helped us evaluate um, just the different aspects of our ministry, and then it's had us just kind of think through sort of the purpose behind the things that we do. Um, and I would say in three of the areas, we feel like we're on the right track. There's always room for growth. But... Um, I'll briefly mention those, but then I'll mainly talk about kind of the one area that we're, we're focusing on really growing in right now. But as far as Word goes, we have a curriculum up through third grade that, that goes through the Bible creation through Revelation, um, and we do that every year. And we focus on different stories, but but, but we are in the Word every Sunday going through God's story with the kids. And then fourth and fifth grade is a little bit different with more of a topical study, but it's all very Christ-centered and and we love God's word in children's ministry. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I would say for spiritual practices, we we try to implement um, just engaging worship for kids. We try to implement prayer where kids are praying for kids and sharing requests and we're praying for our church and things outside of our church. Um, We have scripture memory, we put memory to song. Um, and then, of course, there's fellowship events where we try to get parents and kids just coming and engaging with their church family um, and connecting. Um, and then, as far as ministry, or I'm sorry, mission. I would say that we, we try to highlight a different ministry each month and really pray through the request. Right now, this morning, I just was downstairs, and we were praying for Pastor Nopum and, and the six people that recently got baptized and the new home that they're, they're trying to rent for a boarding space. So, you know, we're, we're trying to just engage the kids in, in what River mm-hmm. West is involved in. Um, and then we take their offering each year, and we try to do a significant project. And this past year, we got to do a... a um, food packing project uh, through uh, kids around the world and made 5,000 meals with f- fourth and fifth graders and their um, family. So, so those are just examples of ways we're trying to kind of think about those three categories. I would say the one, um, or not the one, but one of the areas of growth for children's ministry, I think would be with doctrine. Um, I think we, In the past, I think we've taught doctrine, but I don't think there's been a really specific plan about what really we want to cover with kids before they would move up into junior high. Um, And this process is really allowed us to sit down as a children's ministry, student ministry with Tiffany and Jeff, and we'd kind of talk through um, just the plan for kindergartners through 12th grade, what, what we wanna cover, what we want kids to be confident in and to know before they would graduate. Um, and it's been really helpful, and I think we're excited where we're headed. Um, I think also we're talking about just common language we wanna use with doctrine. You know, for example, if, if, if we're teaching the Trinity to a third grader, I would wanna use a language that then Tiffany would, would build upon in junior high and then Jeff would even go deeper in high school so that you know, it's not something, we're not explaining it in different ways each time and kids are like, gosh, that's not how Kathleen talked about it. You know? So we just want there to be a continuous flow. And so this, it's been a really healthy process for us and I'm excited where it's taking us.
1: Tiff, why don't you talk just a little bit about how that partnership has deepened and grown over the last over the last few months as you guys have thought how are we going to minister together
2: yeah it has been really sweet to kind of take a moment to pause and go okay here are the four categories that we value as a church and how are we going deeper as a church as a whole and then specifically within student ministry Um, Thankfully, I think where we're at is we're in a spot where we can kind of hit each of those four categories. So on a weekly basis within our high school ministry and our junior high ministry, we're meeting up every week doing some sort of Bible study. And so our students are learning how to open the Bible, how to go into scriptures, how to read it. They go into a small group and they're engaging in the discipline of conversation and fellowship with each other of how do we talk about what we just learned with each other. Um, And then weekly, there's worship through song. Um, There's also worship through communion that we participate on a high school level on a weekly basis as well. And then the mission piece is focused where we do two mission trips with our high school students this summer, and then we're trying something different and doing the same with our junior hires, um, going to downtown Portland with Because People Matter. So it's been sweet to kind of go, okay, we have these four categories covered, Is there a way that we can go a little bit deeper? And kind of bridging the gap, like Kathleen said, between that transition from elementary school up to junior high, on into high school, that when we have a student graduate 12th grade, what do we hope that they are leaving our ministries, knowing and having a firm foundation in? And so where we've kind of landed is saying, okay, we want to make sure that all of our students know who god is they have an understanding of his character and his will and who he is and then out of that there's a response right of oh gosh there's a deep need within me because when you see the holiness of god the natural response is i'm not that there's a big gap here um and so then we recognize the need, but out of that, there's a deep awe of God's love for us, that He has come down, He has closed the gap. And so when we see who He is, our need, His love for us, there's a response to trust and seeing the impact that God has called us to have. And so we've kind of broke down those four categories between the three different ministries to say, okay, when a student comes from elementary or kids ministry up into junior high, They know the character of God. They have seen who He is throughout scriptures. And then when they come into junior high, we're going to have the reality check of, guess what? You are not that great,
1: Um, (laughs) which is what every junior higher
2: wants to hear. (laughs) Um, But um, they, through that awareness, they see, but man, isn't God's love so good and so Mm -hmm. sweet? And then they go up into the high school ministry, and that's where they go a little bit deeper of, okay, okay. You're seeing this progression of who God is, who you are, His love. How do you respond and trust and obey in that? So I'm excited for us just to kind of go a little bit deeper in that doctrine piece as it plays out in this discipleship model.
1: Amazing. Hey, can we show the the four uh, categories again on that Venn diagram? I think it's that second. There it is. So I think that uh, each one of us probably, even as you're looking at that, if you're... um, This may be brand new to you, and so in a sense, we're just—and this is an invitation of of a way to consider following Jesus. But I think that some of us who have followed Jesus for a longer amount of time, maybe we're drawn specifically to one of those categories. Maybe you're like, "Why don't? Why isn't every sermon like a doctrine sermon?" You know, like like we're drawn towards one of them. Or maybe some of us would be like, "I don't really want to study the Word. I just want to go on mission." Christopher, why don't you talk to us? We want to have a holistic vision of discipleship, but talk to us just a little bit about even even the dangers of saying like, "I'm only going on to latch onto one of these."
4: Yeah, I think it's a great uh, danger and a tendency, not just individually, but as churches, to gravitate to, towards one, towards the with the exclusion towards others. So as the mission pastor at River West Church, I love seeing our church engage in mission. But imagine for a moment if a church engaged in mission and it was disconnected from word and doctrine. What you be, would be left with um, is social activism. Um, or what many people in our culture sometimes decry and point out and, and use terms like wokeism. Um, you know, getting engaged in social justice issues, but if our social engagement or concern from justice is not rooted in Scripture, then actually that is not connected to anything that's going to produce lasting fruit in our world. Um, So when people ask, why is River West Church engaged in issues like coming alongside refugees? The reason is not because our social media feeds have informed us that this is something that we should be doing, but because the scriptures tell us there's actually more moral imperatives to love sojourners and refugees um, than most Christians are aware of. Next to loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength in the Old Testament, number two imperative in command is to love sojourners and refugees. That's why we are devoted as a church, but it flows out of the word and it's connected to doctrine. It's why we have forums around issues like this is because the activity of missions needs to be connected to an identity that Jesus is forming and shaping. Can I get a couple amens to that? (laughs) This is not just a church. By the way, this should settle once and for all time our agenda here is not to be liberal progressive or woke but to be faithful to christ and the witness of scripture that is what we are doing here at river west it's online you can email me at chris at riverwest.org okay um Secondly, but though, let's just pretend that that you're really into just spiritual practices, but it's disconnected from mission or a concern for loving our neighbors or the word or doctrine. Then the highest good and where you're going to pour your time and attention is to your own spiritual enlightenment, but disconnected from word and doctrine that's not centered around the character of God. And what God are you really Praying to, oftentimes that new flavor of pluralism and new age-ism in our culture, the God is your own self, your own spiritual enlightenment, you as a spiritual being just progressing. And so you can take something like prayer, meditation, contemplation, or even simplicity, and it becomes a religion unto itself, to just like expand yourself as a self-God. Uh, but if we just focused on the word and doctrine, then that would be a church that would be devoid of love, uh, a lifeless church that's all about dogma, dogma, but is not bearing faithful witness in its community, um, not really growing as a community where disciples actually look like Jesus in their practice, where disciples. People are assuming that the agenda of Christianity is just to gather together on Sundays or thr- throughout the week and remind one another that we have all the right answers. And I believe our world needs to see something more compelling than that.
1: Amen. Hey, let's thank our friends for coming. All right. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to invite the band to come up, and um, we are going to what we're going to do now is we are going to enter into one of the ancient christian practices of communion and uh, we're going to come to the table this is something that christians have done this is something that jesus even modeled at the end of his life for his disciples that they would remember his cross they would remember his sacrifice they would remember that they are sinners in need of grace and don't we just need to tell ourselves that story each week, so we come and we come to the table and we're going to invite you to do that and invite you just to come as as the band begins to sing and and we worship together. but I want to invite you to take a moment before you come to the table and maybe one of these one of these commitments um, in discipleship is Maybe it just, it's it's an area that the Holy Spirit is saying, I, I, I want you to press into that. I want you to become a student of the word. Maybe some of you have said, man, I've been following Jesus for a while, but it's probably time for me to, to begin to learn some of these core beliefs in our faith. Maybe some of us need to trade in some of our practices for new ones. You with me? Maybe some of us have... Our life has become so insular, so self-focused, and we would say, well, I'm, just, I'm following Jesus, but Jesus would tell you today, my mission is not just your life, but the nation's. I want you to open yourself up. Lord, where, where do you want to send me? How do you want me to make disciples in this world? So I'm just going to invite you to take, take a few moments as the band plays and We'll end soon, but um, consider that together. And then come to the table in this ancient practice and and commit yourself to the Lord today. We'll worship and we'll go. And this conversation we started today is not over. It'll be ongoing. Even next week, we'll we'll dive back into the book of Romans, which will be in forever. And um, take a few moments and reflect. Ask what God is speaking to you today. And then come and take the elements. It's a visual reminder of the body of Christ which was given for us. The blood of Christ spilled for us. So take those elements and ask God's spirit to speak to you and lead you as his disciple today. Amen.